We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Roots Podcast. This is episode 53, the big five three, joined by Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Plenty to get to today, plus. We've got a very special interview coming for you later on in the podcast. See, uh, no, fuck, I always called it CSM. We're, we're NBC Sports Chicago now, Joe. Common mistake. Common mistake. NBC Sports. <laughs> NBC Sports Chicago. You know, I. Joe, I, I, I'd, I'd be hold. lying if people at work still sometimes don't even, you know, just say CSN because it's a lot more convenient to say than NBC Sports I, Chicago. I still hold dear my, my previous employer, but I have transitioned to now saying NBC Sports Chicago. We have NBC Sports Bay Area and California out here, so I got to get go. used to yeah, it. Come on, at one juncture or another. Basically, but your colleagues have, now. We have NBC Sports Chicago's JJ Stankovitz, C- uh, CSN. CSN Bears, <laughs> I did it again. NBC Sports Chicago we'll, we'll Bears. We'll cut that part. NBC Sports Chicago Bears insider JJ Stankovitz here with us at the Moose and Roots podcast to talk everything Bears draft. We talk a little bit of the the draft around the league. He's really got his finger on the pulse with these sort of things, so you're really going to enjoy that interview. Hang on for that one. We got plenty to talk about prior to then. Matthew, how is your morning going? Other than having to put up with me and my brain, that's yeah, the more, it's, it's okay, Joe. We we both have these days through 53 of these. I think we both had these days where our brains haven't been all there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we got really I think we got really lucky with the JJ interview yet again. I think that's uh, of the. Th- Three, four interviews now I think we've done. I know we've been able to use a lot of connections that we've had to, to get people to hop on, but I think we've gotten really spoiled. I think we've intended doing you know, 15, 20 minutes max with the people we've had on, and I think all have ended up running closer to 30 or 40. So it's, it's been been very, very lucky with a lot of these guys who've come on to, to talk with us. And JJ, I don't, I'm not sure there's a guy who has more insight on the league and what's going on with the Bears in, in this city than JJ. Mm-hmm. He was just absolutely fantastic more than willing to uh, to give us a bunch of his time yesterday. Yep. And uh, this is now, what is this, the fourth, third or fourth special interview? And thank you to all of our guests who have come on here. This is number lended. four. This will be number, number four. four. Uh, thank you to all of our guests that have come on and lended insight. JJ, just the most recent, to kind of shed light on a topic that, again, like you said, he is – uh, far more in tune with than either of us, but uh, let's talk stupid about stuff before we get to the information, Matt. We got a you lot. You know, of I do that about. better than anybody. <laughs> we got a lot of talk to talk about today. Um, NBA playoffs have taken center stage these last couple weeks, and uh, the league is in its prime right now. We're in the first round, and it seems to have more attraction than in years past. And I think the numbers support that notion as well. People are really tuned into these players, to the storylines. It's become almost the male soap opera. And there is a game behind it, but but the storylines that surround these games and these matchups have become so much few bigger than what we saw last night in Oklahoma or in Utah against Oklahoma City. Oklahoma, uh, Utah, same thing. Things got, but I was I was saying I know, where the I game know, was at. The I game know, was in Utah. You had Mitt Romney uh, out there in, in a jersey over his button down, looking like a, a hey. He a total, came, came straight from work. You want him through the jersey? Like I appreciate total, that. I appreciate like yeah. there's no bathrooms to go change. I want to see Mitt Romney no undershirt with the with the Rodney Hood jersey. But you got him taunting taunting Russ Russ. And uh, and the Thunder looking a little bit uh, moved off their mark by the physicality of Utah. Um, 
all across the league, there's something going on, Matt. Cleveland struggling with Indiana. Houston has a bad first quarter. They come out and hang a 50-burger in the third. There's so much going on right now. From a basketball standpoint, what has caught your eye? I, I, I almost turned this into a buy or sell question, but I, I thought I'd bring it up here instead, Joe. It, 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 this, to me, since LeBron, I think, came into the league since that draft, I'm not sure we've had a more intriguing or exciting NBA playoffs. Maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, back when the Celtics were still competing with LeBron's heat, but even then, like, it was still get me to Eastern Conference Finals and whatnot. Like, they, these are first-round series that we're actually interesting, interested in when it, in the past we've been – you know, okay, wake me up when it's a Western Conference Finals. Wake me up when it's the NBA Finals, even last year to an extent. But, I mean, every series this year seems to have a compelling storyline. Like you said, I think to me the, the things that are sticking out the most are uh, Donovan Mitchell is is definitely establishing himself as maybe the next superstar in the NBA or, or the next into he was that a, elite category. He was, best player he was the, the best player on night. the court last night, absolutely. Joe, he, he's the first guard. He's the only other guard, I believe, since Michael Jordan to be – he's the second most points – for a guard in his first playoffs through four games, uh, right behind Michael Jordan. I think he's got 110 points in four games. Uh, Jordan was at 117. Not saying he's going to be Michael Jordan, but that's the, the elite company his, his playoff performance has been. Carl uh, Anthony Towns has uh, been a little bit of a disappointment for me. I think that sticks out to me with, with Minnesota. Really, Derrick Rose being the best player on the floor for Minnesota is a little bit uh, – little bit disappointing for me i think you and i both had a little bit higher expectations for that yeah but i also think that that carl anthony is like last night i think he had like 16 boards and eclipsed the 20 point marker he was close to it or something like that so i don't put so much of it on carl anthony towns i put this on that thibodeau run system it just does not jive with houston houston can get it done offensively so many ways they're gonna let you get a couple easy buckets here and there they're gonna Mm -hmm. try and take away one or two things from you but they know that they have the ability to outscore any opponent at least until they face a a fully staffed Golden State team so that should be a really interesting series if that's what it comes to but I just don't think that regardless of how good Carl Anthony Towns is you got to be able to run the court and beat Houston with guard mm-hmm. play, I think, is the way you beat Houston. And Derek they just Rose don't ain't going to do that. They just don't have that guard play, Minnesota. Yeah, and Andrew Wiggins, I think, was going to be a key for them in that series as well because of what you said there. And I don't think he's really answered the bell quite as much. Uh, he hasn't been awful mm-hmm. by any means, but I don't think he's had the, the breakout series Minnesota is going to need him to have. Jimmy Butler, while well, he's been good, he's been doing his best he, as he could on James Harden. I think you can tell he's still working on coming back and getting fully healthy from that knee. And I think. Uh, the, the other thing, going back to just the rest of the playoffs, that stood out to me, and I'm sure it stood out to you, but uh, we talked about it before the playoffs start, is how good Philly looks. Mm-hmm. And they, they had that great game one against Miami, and then they kind of stumbled in game two and could have easily went into panic mode as a young team and then just came back and kind of blew the doors off Miami in Miami. And, and they look as poised as anybody where if LeBron is able to get out of that first round with Indiana, that, that is an if now. It's it's by no means a certainty with how good Indiana looks and how good Victor Oladipo is playing. But if they're able to get out of that series, they're going to have a really tough time getting by Philly. Yeah, Philly looks complete right now. And the play of Ben Simmons uh, is really surprising me. Not to say that I didn't think he was a solid if he learns player, how to, If he develops a jump shot, he's going to be but unstoppable. Now we're talking about a guy who's in his – quote-unquote rookie season, his yeah. first season playing, however you want to classify it. But He's a rookie. Who's in his rookie season. LeBron didn't develop his jump shot until year six. Yeah. Like, this was LeBron as well, and not to force another parallel, a, a Jordan-LeBron type thing, but this is going to be another parallel. This is going to be the guy who gets the torch six, feet, six years from now when LeBron's moving out of the league, or at least one of the candidates for it. And mm-hmm. he is 
unbelievable to watch and do things at his size. What also strikes me about the 76ers team is they seem pretty unflappable in those chippy moments. They're not letting it get the best of them. You know, Embiid likes to jaw. They like to they like to get a little chippy down there, and it, they they haven't seemed attracted by any of that. A young team can almost be like a you know a dog chasing a ball. They lose track of what they're trying to do or what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. You just go after that fight. You go after that after that yellow ball, and they're not doing that. Philly is is staying focused. So. Philly, in all in all estimations, will take care of uh, Miami. Is that what is that three one right now? Three one right now, going three one Philly, I believe. Right? Back to Philly tonight. That's a five p.m. T- or I'm looking at West Coast times. It's a seven p.m. 7 tip, PM uh, Central time. Uh, you got a nine thirty late tip between Golden State and San Antonio. Uh, San Antonio steals one in Game Four. Golden State seemed calm. Everything at practice yesterday, they were uh, you know having a good time. It was business as usual. We will not see Steph for at least the next couple weeks still he's progressing but i just feel like they don't feel that they need him to advance past a san antonio no and and possibly the next round we were both a little bit worried about that i think i think we both had them going to the conference finals i had them going to the final but both of us kind of said you know it'd be interesting to see with how many people coming off injuries and not playing with Steph, how they'll gel They've gelled just fine. Clay Thompson mm-hmm. looks pretty healthy. I think we we're both worried about that thumb of his. He looks just fine. Durant looks fine. Draymond Green's playing pretty well, uh, and they're they're not too worried. They're coming home. San Antonio is not going to beat them four times in a row, and I think they're they're the team that's been there before. Mm-hmm. And I really think they can. They're another team that even without Steph, they could shoot anyone off the court. Exactly. Uh, Durant could go for thirty on any given night when when he decides to. You know, it's, they have it's, like the three best pure shooters in the NBA, and one of them isn't playing. They still have two of the best pure shooters in the NBA. Yeah, and then you got uh, Cleveland pulling a big one out in Game Four, Game Five set for Wednesday, and this one could go the distance. These two teams match up so well, and they're so fun to watch, and. You're watching LeBron versus, essentially. LeBron can't trust anyone out there. No one's made a shot for him. You saw him gain a little bit of trust in Kyle Korver in mm-hmm. Game 4. He's got to have at least one complimentary piece that when he drives into three players, he can kick to at least one guy. And if other players on Cleveland don't start knocking down shots, like you said, I wouldn't be very surprised if, if the Pacers come out. I come out of this uh, first round. Indiana is playing with just no fear in that one, and I think it's because they they see the writing on the wall that Cleveland is not Cleveland this year. LeBron is still LeBron, but that team is not you know who they are, and they have. I mean, like we've touched on earlier, Victor Oladipo is playing as well has played as well this season as just about anybody any other guard in the NBA, and he is he's playing with no fear. That team is playing no fear. They're not with no fear. They're not backing down, and they have the role players stepping up. They're doing it with six, seven, eight guys. And that's going to wear down on Cleveland when, when LeBron has to do it all himself. And Victor Oladipo has just done his best to take over some games, and they, they've gotten a couple wins out of that. And even the losses, he's done his best to kind of bring them back. And, and Cleveland's having trouble holding leads because Indiana just won't go away, and that's going to be tough here in Game 5. Yeah, it, uh, it's been a really interesting series, and it, I think it'll continue to be um, – I think it'll go 7. I, I really do. I really and, hope it uh, does. I, and I think that – Regardless of if Cleveland comes out of it or not, seven games in the first round is not something LeBron is used to, and uh, especially on a team that he's carrying on his back. So this is going to be a absolute marathon if he has any intention of keeping that uh, final streak alive. I believe it's at eight right now. Yeah, I just, I mean, this seems like the year where he's going to have a lot of trouble doing it. It's it's always hard to bet against LeBron, but if he's got to do this for for three rounds, that's going to be that's going to be hey. really tough. 
And I told you, win-win situation. You lose in the first round. I had no help. I gave the city everything I had. Wheels up Los Angeles. Oh, if, or if Philadelphia. He, or if Philadelphia. They, if they lose, ready to win. If they lose in the first round and Oklahoma City lose in the first round, I think you see LeBron and Paul George take their talents to L.A. Yeah, but, but what me. is Paul George at this point? Paul George, Paul George is terrible. Pretty, he's still Paul dead. George has not been good in that series. None of the three have been good in the first quarter. Those you three saw those looked, numbers. All of them are averaging like four points or less in the fourth quarter, I, I, and that think, has been the knock on all three of those players throughout their careers is their inability to close games. Now you have three guys who are unable to close games on the same court, all wanting the ball, all incapable of putting it in the basket. It's a problem. I think that's why it, like you, you are seeing Paul George go through his struggles, Carmelo. It, it's, it's because it's, it's very hard to be another star and play with Russell Westbrook. Because Russell Westbrook so. is always going to dominate the ball. He's always going to dominate that offense. You're always going to play second fiddle to him. And as good as he is, there's no denying he's one of the – might be the most purely talented player in the NBA, or at least one of them. It's really hard to be a star and play with him. And I, I, I think they're starting to realize that, that you can't just throw three stars together. They actually have to gel. And I think if you put Paul George in the right role with the right group, I think he is absolutely still a superstar. So do, can we start calling Ricky Rubio the answer or no? I think so. Okay, so we're not jumping the shark on that one. No, I like I love Ricky Ruby. What do you think of his man bun, Joe? Are you a man bun guy? Um, I'm not a man bun guy. I've I've liked some of Ricky's past looks uh, better than this. I've been a Ricky Rubio fan just because of the, uh, um, you know, uncalled for style point passing mm, that he does. That, that is that you very in a nutshell. Spanish European mm-hmm. way of passing the ball and. Uh, Yesterday, he took a pass and put it behind his back for no reason. Didn't drip, like put it behind his back into his other hand and took a crazy shot. I loved it so much. Love that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, the, the hair, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm null on. You know, I, I could do without it. I Bonus buy or sell here, Joe. Before we get into it, buy or uh-huh. sell those weird Utah uniforms where they wear like yellow and maroon and red and orange, like the colors, whatever. I, have you seen those? The ones that I think I've they wore in those. Game Three. You buy or um, sell those? I'm not a big fan. I like, like them. Stick they're, with your color scheme. I'll buy them. They're very, uh, they're very owed to the Southwest, owed to the Sierra Flats, or that's whatever. That's fine, it is but out. that that's not a playoff uniform. Playoff mm-hmm. uniform should be your, your 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 regular home and away uniforms. That's a fine regular season gimmicky type uniform. It's playoff, I think so that's time for business. I think that a lot of teams have really good alternates. Like here in Sacramento, the baby blue throwback alternates. Um, Those are Golden State. Golden State has a great yellow alternate. I think it's like their Chinese New Year one. I believe is what. On it, it's like there's some great third jerseys. Utah, not one of the best ones, but I Utah, get what you're saying. can Utah just go back to the like the '97, '98 Jazz Ooh. uniforms? Those the are Stockton the, alone ones. Those the, with the, the Rocky Mountain, the, 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 the purple mountain range road uniforms it. with the mountain range on them were some of the best uniforms in basketball. And I don't. I, I want to see a game them so. versus the Raptors and the throwback uh, purples Ooh. with the like actual T Rex on it. Can I just see those teams play? Is Vince Carter back in his prime again against the, that Jazz <laughs> team in that? <laughs> Uh, we can we can still get you Vince Carter. We can't get you Carl Malone. Though. That's true. Well, Carl could probably give you give you ten minutes, maybe a couple boards here and there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Matt. Well, as we said, it's been a very interesting uh, it's been a very interesting playoffs here in the NBA. It will continue to be moving forward. I think, regardless of who advances, there are enough storylines on each one of these rosters or on each in each one of these matchups to continue to make it interesting. Would love to see LeBron. As we always do, coming down the stretch, he always adds drama, but uh, might not be the case for Matt. A lot of drama going on uh, in the other playoff series going on right now in the NHL. Uh, the Caps battling back from down 2-0. 
We got uh, we got a game seven coming our way tomorrow in, in between Boston and Toronto. So that should be a great original six hockey right there. But a lot going on, Matt. Um, who has, has your favorite change? No. In this first week and a half, two weeks of hockey. My favorites absolutely pretty much cruised through their first round matchups. Uh, mm-hmm. Both one and five. I had Tampa and Winnipeg. Uh, if, if you remember, Winnipeg absolutely blew the doors off off the Wild, which has become Bruce Boudreaux's um, the, the Wild Wildheads coach's tendency in, in big playoff games with with elimination on the line. He usually lays a big egg, and that's exactly what happened there. Uh, Tampa looked really good. Pittsburgh is looking better than I thought they would, but I, I also don't think Philly's all that great. So I think they'll they'll be in for a tough test here with the Caps, Joe. I, I'm excited to see Caps versus Penguins round 15. Um, I, I think the Penguins are what a perfect 14 and 0, something like that. However many mm-hmm. times they've played, but I'm I'm excited to see that one again because Pittsburgh's probably going to win it. But these series are always still compelling, and until we get to that game six or seven, we should see some fun back and forth. What is what is the what's at the core of Washington's failures and then immediate success? It seems they always go down two games to none and have to work back and have to you know play this role of one at a time or whatever your your thought process is when trying to come back from two zero because it's not an easy feat. But why do they continue to put themselves in these situations and then? Do you think they have the talent to continue to do that? I don't think they have the t- talent to do that against a team like Pittsburgh. You know, as, as you they, get deeper, they, they, they that's when you see the actual trouble. No, I agree yeah. with you there. Um, I, I think in that Columbus series, first off, Columbus is Columbus is a pretty solid team. They're on the rise. They have one of the best defensive cores, young defensive cores in the NHL, and I think a year or two down the road, they'll probably will have the best defensive core in the NHL. Um, but that said, I think the decision to start Philip Grubauer in net for the first two games of that series over Braden Holtby is played a big factor in why they went down 0-2. Mm-hmm. Um, Braden Holtby's been their guy for, for many years now. He, I, I, th- I want to say he won a Vezina two years ago. If not, he, he's been in the conversation, been in the finals a couple times. He's won a Team Canada's goalies uh, the last time they went to the Olympics there. Uh, I, I think that decision was was one that backfired, and they finally did get it right, and they, they went and went ahead and went for one four straight. But I don't really know the nature of why they they seem to be slow starters. Uh, I, I think though Braden Holtby coming in to this next series, he's just going to have to be the best player on the ice for Washington because I don't think this forward core, the group that's failed so many times to get by Pittsburgh is going to be the key. They're going to have to do their part. They're going to have to chip in, but they're going to have to win a lot of 2-1 games, a lot of 3-2 games. They're not going to be able to let Pittsburgh score all that much because I think that's when they're going to get in trouble. When Pittsburgh gets rolling, when that momentum gets rolling, there's there's not a better team uh, in hockey. And even though they didn't have the greatest regular season, they're obviously playoff tested. And when they get going, I think they're the best team left in the NHL right now. Uh, Matt, just the way that things are designed, we now have the – Two teams with the highest point totals in the in your Winnipeg Jets and uh, and the Nashville Predators going at it in the next round, if I'm not mistaken. We do. Is that a flaw? Do you think we should see these teams meet later on in the playoffs? Uh, I do, and I, I, I'm going to go a little bit different road. I don't think it's because of like seeing this matchup in the second round as opposed to the conference finals. I would love to uh-huh. see these two play in the conference finals because I do think they are the two best teams left in the West. But at the same time, I'm more, 
I don't like this divisional format because I, they did it to try and reignite old divisional rivalries like you used to see back in the early 90s and stuff and try and get, you know, Hawks Blues back to its heyday, try and create interdivisional rivalries. But I think what you've done is you've kind of lost those playoff rivalries like the, the Hawks-Canucks mm. rivalries of the past. Yeah, You don't really see those anymore because they don't really have that chance to meet in the playoffs and you're really limiting teams' chances to create rivalries to you know, sneaking in as a, as a five seed where you, you get the other division instead of uh, your own or, you know, meeting in conference finals. And I think, I don't want to say the rivalries get boring, but at the same time, like we've seen, we've seen Winnipeg and Nashville play eight times in the regular season. We're going to see them play countless times down the road. That's why I think I'd like to see them go back to that old just one through eight format. It, it, I don't care where you finish in your division. You, if you win your division, you're in, but let's go, you know, one through eight, eight best teams in the West get in instead of these top three in the division. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that you know you always want your, you always want a crescendo, and, and this current format puts puts some lumps in that straight line. And I think that it, cre- um, it, it doesn't necessarily take it you know out of the realm of possibility, but it certainly brings it, it makes this option that we're seeing a lot more realistic. And uh, I think that I think that when you have a, I don't know for lack of a better term, a marketable series like you do between the Jets and uh, and Nashville. And, you know, when you talk about the Winnipeg Jets, obviously not the most marketable team mm-hmm. in the world. But when you have a, a, a premier series in the NHL, that's something that it doesn't hurt if it happens a little earlier, if you're trying to get eyes there earlier than the conference finals. Because to be honest with you, the NBA has cast such a shadow this year that um, with, with the Hawks not in it, uh, I've watched San Jose and, and other games. Mm-hmm. I haven't been watching as much uh, zero sum game. I got yeah. no, I got no stake in this well, type hockey. I've been watching the other games as much. Part of this goes back to, and I think I've 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 aired my grievances uh, on the NHL quite a bit, and and, and their marketing mm-hmm. uh, abilities and tendencies and all that stuff throughout the years. And part of that is because you haven't watched a lot of Winnipeg Jets hockey because you have, you haven't lived in that area. And they don't yeah. put teams like that on national TV. It's because you see Flyers, Capitals, Penguins, Rangers a hundred times throughout the year, and you like you mm-hmm. don't see Connor McDavid in, in Edmonton on NBC's primetime game. You don't see Winnipeg. You don't see Nashville even all that much. And they're as good of a team as there is in hockey. And I think that's where you, when when the teams at the NHL wants to advance, go to the you know the conference finals, the Stanley Cup finals, you see those ratings mm-hmm. bump up. But but people don't tune in to watch the Winnipeg Jets because. A lot of people see, oh, it's the Winnipeg Jets. Who cares who's even on there? When, when if they're watching them four or five times throughout the year, they realize they Patrick know it's Ryan, Mark Shifley, uh, Dustin Bufflin. Obviously, he's a big marketable name. They're some of the best players in the world. They, Winnipeg has two of the best forwards in the Western Conference going for him right now that nobody knows about. Patrick Line is a 20-year-old winger who's scored 42 goals this year, second just to Ovechkin. And, Joe, you've probably heard that name three times throughout this year because I brought yeah. him up all three. That's yeah, a problem, and, and, that, and until the NHL starts marketing their entire league instead of the East Coast, they're never going to be as big as the NBA. I'm, I'm realistic. I know that. But until they start marketing their entire league and their major stars instead of just whoever's playing in New York and Philly, they're going to have these problems. Yep, and I think uh, I think not to digress too far, I think Major League Baseball has a very similar issue mm-hmm. with uh, the lack of um, eyes on the West Coast talent out here. you got the best player in baseball just – doing freakish things on a, on a nightly basis and Mike Trout and everyone's asleep. Yeah. And uh, that's, um, 
it's not good for the league, but when they can figure out how to properly package it and get it to the fans, I think that uh, it can be a huge asset, just like these guys in the NHL can be. And hey, before I know, I've, I've said my piece on hockey, and I, I've, I've ran my playoff talk here a little bit more. We'll get to more to it next week, but I do want to touch on this before we uh, before I move on to the interview here, Joe. If you remember my grievance last week, I, I, I calmed people down on the whole Artemi Panarin, Brandon Saad trade uh-huh. loss, whatever. <laughs> Are you feeling vindicated? I, I'm feeling a little vindicated because rightfully so after every. Everybody was talking about how great of a player Artemi Panarin was after I think it was games, you know, games one and two. Uh, game after the first three games, excuse me, where I think he had like five points in three games, six points in three games. He put up a big goose egg in the last three and was was somewhat of a no show. <laughs> didn't really even challenge all that much. So let's let's pump the brakes. He's a very good player. We know what he is, but he's not. I just want to. I, I think I'm a little bit vindicated in in that. That grievance I had last week. Let's, let's leave, pump it, the leave it to let's, you to leave it to you to find joy in others' failures. I'm not finding joy in others' failures. I'm simply <laughs> stating facts, Joe. Uh, he, 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 the same thing happened that people ripped on him for in Chicago these last three games. He was quote unquote a no show in the playoffs. It wasn't the whole playoffs, but he wasn't really there the last two yeah. games when they needed him. So, yeah. Matt, transition we, uh, to football. <laughs> well, before we get into the football, we got a little baseball to talk oh, here. I forgot uh, the about White that. Sox, the White Sox break out offensively last night. Uh, I think showing a little bit of their potential. Um, Cubs, signs of what they can be, signs of what they are, signs of what they're not doing properly. Pitching staff really not doing what they need to do. What do you see on each side of town, Matt? Uh, the Cubs, I see a lot of like what they were last year. Uh, it's it's one day they're they're throwing up 15, and then the next day they, they can't muster more than two. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still think they're a very good team, very deep team offensively who will figure it out, and they'll be there in the end, win that division. But I think the inconsistency is has got to be a little bit of an issue because he saw that come to bite them, you know, in the playoffs last year. Um, I they've I, they've become they've become the Chicago Javis because I know Javis worked his his average back up to a very respectable spot over these last yeah. ten days. He's been a world beater, hitting the ball out of every park that he steps into. But then other days he can strike out. Four times. I, I did want to. They're the Chicago. They're the Chicago hobby. I did want to touch on that because last week I think I said I, I ca- didn't call out hobby bias, but I, I said for the most part he needs to be you know a little bit more consistent. And I'm not sure how long this hot streak is going to last, but he must listen to the podcast, Joe, because right after I said that, <laughs> after I called him out a little bit, he went ahead. First time, like, long time. He had like the best hit week in the history of the NL. It seemed like, and he was just hitting. <laughs> you know, he had like ten extra base hits. He was going deep everywhere, like you said, and he was driving in hundreds of runs so i maybe i might have been a little bit off there but he's if he's consistently this good he's your nl mvp i don't think he's going to be consistently this good throughout the year though but he's he's definitely seeming like he's taking that next step into being a, a top of the lineup type hitter instead of the you know six or seven hitter for him and uh you've been down on the south side to, been to the to the g spot a couple of times couple this times. year uh are you seeing progress in our White Sox? Uh, I am. I, I, I will say I'm a little bit worried about Lucas Giolito. He, he looked mm-hmm. really good last year, looked really good in the spring, but that velocity's down this year, and I'm, I'm hoping it's because maybe he's you know working, you're dealing with an injury or something. But when you, when you see velocity start to go down, that that that's an issue. He's having trouble locating the ball. But offensively, it was nice to see them break out a little bit last night. Yohan Moncada, I think and what might end up being somewhat of a microcosm of his career was a single short of the cycle. He was the easiest part of that cycle, shy of the cycle, and had two chances uh-huh. at it. But he was, again, killing the ball last night. And uh, nice to see Jose Abreu. He had a pretty good year. Actually, I have a really big breakout night last night. Went deep twice, one of which the ball was absolutely killed, probably went about 440. And uh, I, I've said this before on the podcast, Joe, but he is when he's on, 
he is as good of a hitter as we have in this city. And I'm not saying he's better than Chris Bryant or Anthony Rizzo, but he is up on that level with those guys when he's on. I don't think he yep. does it as consistent as those guys do, but he is he is right there when he gets into those hot streaks. And, and lastly for me, Reynaldo Lopez, who might be the, the only piece in that rotation right now that's going to be in that rotation when they get to, to where they want to go. Uh-huh. He, he looks really good. I know you haven't seen much of his stuff, but he has absolute A stuff. His, his fastball's peaking at about 96, 97. It's got a little tail to it. His off-speed stuff is working well, and he, he went five innings against Houston. I think allowed just four hits, one run, and uh, he, he certainly looks like the real deal. So finally, a piece, like you said, maybe in the middle of that, uh, middle of that rotation, but a piece that you see in the long-term future for the White Sox. Yeah, I think that's on that that's pitching, the piece on that, that pitching yeah, staff. In that, I mean, you, you still hope Lucas Giolito can figure it out and be a backup yeah. type starter. But Ronaldo Lopez is the first, you know, electric type talent I think in that rotation that we're, we're seeing coming up, and, and he looks really, really good, and he's really confident in the stuff. When are we going to get to see the flamethrower? Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be for a little while. They had their chance if they wanted to right now with Miguel yeah. Gonzalez just going on DL yesterday, and they, they called up Chris Beck. Uh, I, I think they're really okay with just kind of overcooking him down in the minors a little bit and just letting him really get under his feet. He's had a really nice start down there. Uh, he's he's striking a bunch of people out. I think he had 10 strikeouts in like five innings in his last outing. Uh, but I, I think they're going to – let it be a slow burn a little bit, and then maybe see him. You know, early on in the summer is, is when I think you'll you'll see him finally make that debut. Might be because of injury, might be because he forces his hand, but but we'll probably see it. I think, you know, June. Sounds good, Matt. Maybe then you'll get out time. here for a game. It is time. I can't make any promises. <laughs> yeah, you can um, get to Wrigley, but you can't get to this. One. Get them well, when I come home for three days. Hashtag shots fired. It's all about going. It's all about going where you can do the most things at once. And no, that's fine. Thirty fifth and Shields isn't exactly isn't exactly that location. As much as I love my White Sox, the experience falls flat on the South Side right now. That's all I'm saying. You can take me to task for it, but I'm here for the party. At least okay. you own up to it. Well, I check the schedule. Whenever either of these ball clubs get, I don't want to go to Oakland. Either. It's the same situation out here. I do not want to go to the. I don't want to go to Oakland. AT and T Park is a party. It's a great time in a great area. Not necessarily the same case with the Coliseum, That's but fair. we'll find a way to see all of our clubs in the near future. Matt, let's do something that we love to do, especially in the month of what are we in May, April? April. Talk April. football. We're in the month of April still. Let's talk some April football. And uh, with the draft around the corner, we brought on someone who knows more about the draft than anyone out there. It is NBC Sports insider for the Bears, J.J. Stankovitz. Please enjoy this wonderful interview with J.J. And just a heads up, listeners, we were recording with J.J. yesterday. He was out and about. So there is some feedback, a little crackling early in the interview. But bear with it. Stick with us. It does get clear near the end of the interview and a lot of good stuff in there. So here it is. We hope you enjoy it. The interview with uh, NBC Sports Bears insider J.J. Stankovitz. We welcome in now a special guest uh, we thank in advance and we will thank after as well. J.J. Stankovitz, the NBC Sports Bears insider, also a contributor to the Under Center podcast over there at NBC Sports Chicago. J.J., thank you so much for joining us on the podcast here during, as we said, a busy, busy time of year for you. But you love it. This is, this is your bread and butter right here. 
Yeah, this is the busiest week of the year. I'll be at Hallis Hall five times this week, which is more than we were, we're even up there during the season. But, no, this, this is fun. The, the draft is just a blast. And, you know, it's just like putting one big puzzle together of figuring mm-hmm. out who's going where and why this piece is going to this team and all that. So it, it's a blast. I can't wait for Thursday. Well, it finally feels like, from from the perspective of a Bears fan or someone covering the Bears, there are less pieces to the puzzle that 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 we need. You know, the puzzle's starting to come to be, come together a little bit. Some very integral pieces of that puzzle will come together over these next few days here, but it doesn't feel like we're in the abyss anymore. W- would you agree with that? They're starting to move in the right direction, at least when it comes uh, from a stance of player personnel. Yeah, I would agree with that, that their only really red-line significant desperate need is outside linebacker in this draft, mm-hmm. whereas in Previous drafts, I mean, you guys know when was the last time the Bears went into a draft saying, well, we don't actually need a safety. You know, Honestly, they, yeah. There are, there are that, those positions, but... The Mike Brown the Bears, era. Yeah, what the, right. <laughs> what the Bears need more than anything else, though, is just really good players. Yeah. And, you know, you can look at interior offensive line and say, yeah, you could probably be okay with Eric Cushion or a Watford starting there. Or, uh, you know, even safety. Yeah, probably go to Adrian Amos, Nettie Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. But it, what the Bears need are big-time playmakers, really, really good players. This is a team that didn't have a pro bowler on defense last year, which uh, was a, a fun line of questioning to a team Hicks last week. Uh, <laughs> but they, just, they need big-time players to finally take that step from being the last place team in the NFC North to maybe making a run at contending for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the way to find that right now is through the draft, especially on defense, where you have a lot of really good players. And Vic Fangio even said this back in January. He said, we need our so-called good players to be better. Yeah. You know, by that yeah. he meant Akeem Hicks, Kyle Fuller. Uh, Adrian Amos, Danny Trevathan, Eddie Goldman. These guys who are good, solid football players, he needed them, the Bears need them to be great, or they need to find someone who's great to plug in there. And with the eighth overall pick, that's your best shot of finding someone who can be great to plug into this defense. Now, now, so, Joe, uh, we talked about it a little bit with the, the puzzle starting to form with the, with the roster a little bit and less you know, needs there. It seems to be happening with the coaching staff as well. But with Matt Nagy, everybody seems very positive on what's going on in Hallis Hall and the vibe he's brought. But also, we've kind of heard this before in the past, you know, with with failed coaches like Mark Trestman, even John Fox, to an extent. So why, I guess, is this one a little bit different? Why should we be more excited about Matt Nagy? Because I'm very excited about him, but I guess why should we be a little bit more excited that this is the real thing? Yeah, well, you know, I wrote about this on NBC Sports Chicago last week where Matt Nagy's offense makes sense to Mitch Trubisky. You know, a lot of the RPO concepts and uh, some of the progressions, some of the reads that being run a lot, you know, frequently out of the shotgun, that stuff all makes sense to Mitch Trubisky in a way that the offense last year didn't. You know, Trubisky was sort of like fitting a a square peg into a round hole in terms of having him go through some of the reads and progressions. And granted, the the wide receivers last year didn't do him any favors. But I, I think that's your starting point for why the Nagy era feels more exciting than mm-hmm. maybe the Trustman era where you've had a lot of those pieces already in place with Jay Cutler and Matt Forte. And it, a lot of the pieces are now coming into place in the first year of Nagy's tenure, which I think leads to a lot of the excitement. And, and then you look at the offense, and 
I mentioned it before, interior offensive line is really the only hole you have to fill, um, it, especially if you look at Taylor Gabriel as your number two wide receiver and not the Cam Meredith, uh, the replacement to him being your number two. So mm-hmm. um, I, I just think that, that the fact that all these offensive pieces have kind of come in at the same time as Nagy leads to a lot of this excitement. And, you know, the fact that he's a young coach, and look, we all know what the Los Angeles Rams did last year, pairing the young, offensive-minded, quarterback-driven coach with their highly drafted quarterback, things worked out pretty well for the Rams last year. I think that that plays into some of the excitement as well. Mm -hmm. As well it should, too. I, I think the Rams set the precedent of, look, you can go from being this kind of moribund franchise where the roots of losing seem deep to all of a sudden in one year you're winning a pretty solid division and beating a team in Seattle, beating out a team in Seattle for a playoff spot that's been to the playoffs and won Super Bowl. So that, I I think, should play into it as well. Now, you you touched on interior offensive line being that that one hole that they really do need to fill on the offensive end, at least the biggest one. Um, I thought they kind of had a, a solution there, at least a short-term one, and Josh Sitton, who, well, I think he was carrying, what, 8 or $9 million cap it. I think it was only for the rest of the year, and it's not like they're in all that big of cap trouble. So why part ways with a guy like him when, you know, Kyle Long's also you know, spent a year completely unhealthy. Quentin Nelson's really the best option there, but he, he might not even be there. Today. So why, I guess, did they go with that, that route when interior alignment now we're saying is one of their bigger holes? Well, they they had to make that decision on Sitton before uh, they really knew what the free agent market was going to look like and how everything was going to shape up. Um, you know, I, I believe when they made that call, there was still some discussion of Allen Robinson maybe sticking in Jacksonville as a, a franchise mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think you can go back and you can second guess that for sure because if there's did keep Jackson, yeah, in dollars is uh, quite a bit of money for interior offensive linemen. But then again, Andrew Norwell gets that huge contract from the Jaguars. Uh, I, I think offensive line play in general is becoming harder and harder to find uh, just quality offensive linemen no matter what position. You probably want to hang on to him. The one thing I might say is, you know, he is getting up there and, and is, you know, on the wrong side of 30 and $8 million is still a pretty big change, even if you are in a healthy cap situation. And Ryan Hayes has managed his cap well. As far as general manager, you can definitely criticize and second-guess some of his decisions on free agent signing, but mm-hmm. as a cap manager, he's done a good job. And I think maybe that's a spot to trust in him a little bit more in terms of his cap management. Um, but yeah, there is a hole there. I don't know. I, I think the Bears are probably somewhat comfortable going into the season with Eric Bush or Watford as a starter. But, I mean, those guys in their careers haven't started over half the game they've played in. So it does leave some risk there that they're injured and then you're, you're stuck kind of really dipping deep into your reserves, which would me that is going to run a lot inside zone, is going to do um, you know, some run pass options with, with that. Um, it is a little bit dangerous to leave the inside of the offensive line as somewhat of a question mark. Yeah, and, and the, the operative word there that I hear from you, JJ, is risk. And I know there are multiple different schools of thought when it comes to the NFL draft, but 
you're, you're essentially betting on a prospect, and you want to reduce as much risk as you can when putting your chips on the table or when putting your chips behind one of these guys. To reduce risk, don't you think you go to the guy that you can, go, that you can most readily evaluate to the umpth degree, and wouldn't you agree that that's Quentin Nelson? So if you're, if you're filling a need, everything I hear you saying is that the need is that O-line and the need is that linebacker. Which way do you lean between the two with that eighth overall? Well, it's interesting that you'd think, okay, those two positions, Quentin Nelson, plug in play guy who can be a rookie and a, you know, a six-time All-Pro, just one of the best offensive linemen in... And people feel comfortable saying that about a guy like that, which is... Yeah, exactly. Fuddling, yeah. But that's what you can get out of an offensive lineman in the draft. You know yeah. you know the commodity better than anyone else. Right. And, yeah, I was talking to someone in Notre Dame that any team that's overthinking Quentin Nelson because <laughs> he's a guard is they're, they're going to shoot themselves in the foot in this draft because you're going to get a guy who will be one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. And I know the, the recent history of guards being drafted in the top ten is not very good. I think um, Jonathan Cooper, Chance Warmat, I believe, were the first. But, you know, both of those guys kind of flamed out and weren't really yeah. good players. I, I think Quentin Nelson is a once-in-a-lifetime prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the linebacker position, the, the debate... Interestingly, it is, you know, Rose who doesn't have the traits of Tremaine Edmonds, but is a guy who people believe you can plug him into your lineup on day one and he's going to be a pro bowler. Yeah. Or people with Tremaine Edmonds, who fits more of the Ryan Pace draft profile of the cool, the really athletic, still kind of raw player that, you know, look, if you get Tremaine Edmonds in your building, you can coach him and mold him into a guy who you hope can be a pro bowler and have a mm-hmm. higher ceiling than Roquan Smith. But yeah. Roquan Smith and Quinn Nelson seem to be your two kind of safest bets. Yes. But Ryan Pace hasn't gone for the safe bet in any of his drafts in the first round. So where does that kind of leave the better going into the third bet? Yeah, risk, risk aversion has not been his, uh, has, has not been high on his draft board, uh, if you will, because, uh, we have seen some of these projects come in the last couple of years, and man, would it be a breath of fresh air to know the commodity that's coming into the building, as you said. I think it would represent maybe a change in how Ryan Pace views the rebuild if he did take someone who's maybe closer to being a yeah. product. Because mm-hmm. that maybe that would signal the Ryan Pace is closer to winning than they have been in the past. What yeah. I think you know, is pretty has completely changed this year with committing a lot of money to players and not really giving himself easy outs in the in mm-hmm. the case of Trey Burton, Colin Robinson, Fuller, Prince Mukamara. These guys are not here actually going to glorify the one deals. There's a lot of money committed to those guys for at least the next few years. So Com- committing to that, uh, to that progress, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it could be a sign of progress. It could be a sign that he's maybe feeling the heat a little bit, even though he did just get the contract extension. Um, it's kind of interesting how the draft plays out and how it's trying to phrase it. If he, I mean, if he does believe that the Bears are closer to contending, then yeah, you probably go ahead and take Roquan Smith because why draft a developmental guy right mm-hmm. now if you think this defense is, you know, uh, 
really good, and let's just add one for guy to yeah, a player or two away. Yeah. Now, if they do go get Roquan Smith there and have him playing, yeah, get in the middle. What what does that do to that middle linebacker dynamic? Because I know that obviously Danny Trevathan has a spot there, and then Nick Kwiatkowski right. came in and filled in pretty admirably. So I guess what does that do with with his role, and, and how does that group kind of fit together next year? Kwiatkowski a lot. Uh, he's a fundamentally sound guy who has grown in Hey, hey, JJ. You know, you look, you look at Kudkowski's race, and they've both missed JJ. quite a bit of time in the last couple of years. You're, you're breaking up quite a bit. Oh, sorry. Um, no, just good. start good now. now if, if you, yeah, that, that's just, wherever you are now sounds better. Uh, if you just okay. want to start over that middle, that linebacker yep. question. Okay. All right, and go to 3 two, one. Yeah, you know, Vic Pangio likes Nick Kudkowski a lot. Uh, he's sort of that fundamentally sound player who's grown in Pangio's defense, knows it pretty well. Um, but look, the fact of the matter is, is that both Trevathan and Kwiatkowski have missed quite a bit of time in the last couple of years. Uh, Trevathan hasn't played a full 16 game season since I think 2013, and that was the only one of his career. Kwiatkowski missed uh, two games his rookie year and then missed a couple last year with a pack injury. So I think it's not like those guys are your two definite starters. I think the, mm-hmm. the fact the fact for Corey is that Dan Trevathan and who you draft, whether it's Roquan Smith, whether it's Tran Edmonds, are your two starters, and then Kwiatkowski is there to fill in with the knowledge that he's going to play a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's where, you know, letting Christian Jones go to Detroit, and granted, that was the fact that Jones was a therapy free agent surprised there, but I don't think they were willing to bring him back as a priority guy. Um, that's Christian Jones excelled. Mm-hmm. Or Fangio was well, sort of that third fill linebacker, and when he got in the game, he was effective. If he does wind up being that number three linebacker for the Bears, yeah. Um, it, it, the biggest question coming into the off season, uh, it was the wide receiver position, and, and I know there were a lot of question marks, but you address the wide receiver position uh, through free agency, and uh, you know you pick up a couple other guys here. But it is still a position grouping that feels like it can use some help. What do you make of the middle-level talent in this draft at the wide receiver position, the, the second through fifth round wide receiver talent? Is there value there for the Bears to go look at? Can we talk about Anthony Miller? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think I really, really like Anthony Miller. Uh, okay. And, and I don't know if this is necessarily the direction the Bears are going to go. But in letting Cam Meredith go, I think he was probably the Z in this offense if he would, would okay. have stick a, stuck around, which is the sort of slot outside flex position that mm-hmm. Albert Wilson played last year. And Meredith has both the flexibility to play in the slot and outside, which you know really only adds to the fact that the Bears really didn't like Meredith's medicals. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, he would have been a really good mm-hmm. fit for that offense. I think Anthony Miller from Memphis is a guy who can play in the slot, he can play outside. He's just one of those like tough, hard-nosed players who wins and is a great red zone threat. He racked up a ton of touchdowns at Memphis. Um, he's a guy who may be a bit of a reach in the second round, but, I mean, look, if, if the Bears were to go into it and have conviction on him in the second round, and some people may say, well, he's more of a third-round talent. Well, you don't have a third-round pick, so yeah. go ahead and get him. Okay, your guy. Um, on the other end of things, Maybe they don't go for that sort of a profile. Maybe they draft a guy like Notre Dame 
was, uh, yeah, that was, that was a, a name. topic of conversation and, yeah. last week. Last yeah. week on the podcast, we were, you know, we're, we're two domers right here, so we always get our, our, our ND names there, and I know you cover the team, and you're close with the team. I made the comparison between Equinemius and Will Fuller, because you saw that same type of vertical threat through those two guys. Do you think that you could see a similar top end sort of talent in the league when you're talking about Fuller and then Equinemius now? You could. I mean, Fuller is, has better instincts and is a lot tougher than Equinemius St. Brown. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I know the toughness was a big issue with St. Brown at Notre Dame, but he did mm-hmm. say that he put on, I think at the combine, he said he had put on like 15 or 20 pounds already. Yeah, he was a little slight, uh, yeah. In, which is a very smart move for him and telling teams, hey, I'm serious about being able to battle with opposing cornerbacks. The thing mm-hmm. with St. Brown is that the Bears, I feel like they already have two of him, potentially, in Allen Robinson and Kevin White, the, the bigger, okay. fast receivers who can get downfield. And, you know, it, Robinson isn't like your true vertical threat necessarily, but mm-hmm. he's got such great instincts he can do anything. Um, it'd be really interesting if they drafted a guy like St. Brown or St. Brown himself and then plugged him on the outside, and you said, okay, we're just going to go with two huge receivers outside. We'll figure yeah. out the spot. It's probably mostly going to be Trey Burton anyway, and this is what our offense is going to look like, and it's not going to be the exact same as we ran in Kansas City. I think that would be a really fascinating development if the Bears were to go with another bigger outside receiver. Mm-hmm. Do, you see, do you see J.J. St. Brown going that early in the second round? Because I know he originally kind of – was a towards looked like a fifth, uh, fifth, fourth round type draft pick, and now he seems to be kind of rocketing up people's draft boards. Is that because of the way he put on the toughness? It just seems like every year or so there's there's that one guy who seems to shoot up draft boards, you know, in the workouts, not necessarily from what he's done on the field. So are, are teams really sold on his toughness and the way he put on at the combine? If you're going to draft him in the second round, you have to be. I mean, he mm-hmm. is a toolsy receiver. You look at the speed, you look at the vertical threat. And you look at the size, and that's not easy to find. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there are questions about his toughness, and there are some questions about his durability be just because of his pre, you know, previously smaller frame at Notre Dame and his ability to kind of take on press coverage. But he is a guy who maybe the Bears have a fourth-round grade on him, and they've done their due diligence and said, we're not going to take him if he's on the board in the second round. But if he's still there in the fourth, he's our guy. That Absolutely. could very well be the case for the Bears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you said the boogeyman's name, so I'm going to have to bring it up here. I didn't want to touch upon it, but where is your bar for Kevin White this year? I I have dropped all expectations at this point, so I'd love to see him just go out there and play a consistent stretch of football games. That's where my expectations are at right now. That's a good expectation for Kevin White. (laughs) Honestly, honestly, seeing him on the field. The Bears' expectations for Kevin White, this was interesting, the way that Matt Nagy kind of framed it. Uh, last week was, you know, he's not, Nagy is not even talking about the big picture with Kevin White. Mm-hmm. He's let's get him to stack practices. That is number one. Get him yeah. to flash a couple of times here and there in practice and start building on that. I mean, we are really starting from square one with Kevin White. And I think that can benefit him just in that it is a new coaching staff. It is kind of a fresh take on the offense. And there's not a lot of pressure on Kevin White depending on what happens in the draft, for him to be the guy or the number two guy. Yeah. Even maybe the number three guy. So Rookie OTAs part four for Kevin White. Right, Just yeah. Just be a guy on the field. <laughs> and yeah. 
you know, what, what's concerning about Kevin White is that last year when he was healthy, he didn't really look all that good in practice. There mm. were some days in training camp where, you know, not, not, not to really disparage Sherrick McManus here, but Sherrick McManus was beating him in one-on-one drills. And, yeah. you know, Sherrick McManus is a great special teams player, but your first-round pick from 2015 should not be losing to a guy who is a special mm-hmm. team player. So that that's the other issue for Kevin White. It's not just getting him healthy. It's getting him effective. It's not mm-hmm. like if Kevin White winds up being healthy this year that he's going to all of a sudden be the 2015 first-round pick version of the guy they thought they were getting. Kevin yeah. White still has a lot to prove, and you know he still has to work. He still has to earn his way onto this team because mm-hmm. as a backup receiver, presumably – he's probably going to have to play special teams. And, you know, would the Bears really want to risk putting a guy with that kind of injury history and just that kind of freak injury history on special teams? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So White's got to really earn his way onto the Bears this year. Um, I don't think they're looking to cut him or anything in training camp, just given that he still is pretty cheap. But yeah. um, he's, still, he's going to have to earn his way. And I think the expectations for Kevin White – have to be whatever you get out of him as a bonus. Yeah. The the other name that's kind of been circulating since many camps regarding the offense, at least, is Jordan Howard. I know I spoke to the media and kind of watered down the whole Instagram, uh, you know, deleting all his Bears pictures and all that type of stuff. I uh, love the social media age we live in. But how sold are they on Jordan Howard as, you know, a fit in Matt Nagy's offense? I know he's here for this year, but, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire usually, and his name is kind of brought up in the offseason about possibly being moved and all that. Are they sold on him kind of long-term being the fitness offense, or is it kind of you're, you're good for now until we find the guy that we really think fits? I think it's probably somewhere in between. Um, I think Jordan Howard has to prove that he can reliably catch the football. Or just uh, catch the football. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he's got, I think Pro Football Focus has him at like 14 drops and 76 career yeah. targets, which is that's, that's got to be better. Than that. <laughs> um, but you know, for Howard, I think a lot of it, there might be a little bit too much focus on his lack of receiving skills and not enough focus on his actual running skills because it's hard to get a thousand yards in back-to-back seasons, especially to do it in 2017 when offenses do exactly what the Bears are going to run on pretty much every single play. The fact that Howard yeah. still managed over 1,000 yards last year is pretty good. Yeah. Let's not sell short this guy's ability. And I think, you know, maybe the Bears, if Saquon Barkley is available, will go ahead and draft Saquon Barkley because they think he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. But mm-hmm. I think they, they'd be just as happy staying at – dead last in the NFL in running back spending and getting really good bang for their buck out of that position with Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. So, you know, and then maybe in a year they'll reconsider it and, you know, they're going to have to make a decision on Howard in a year anyway because he'll be entering the last year of his rookie deal. So I I think this is actually going to be a good year for Jordan Howard because he does have to prove himself again. He's not going to line back up and get 1,000 yards. He's going to have to prove that he can do it to an entirely new coaching staff, and he's going to have to probably do it in a way that hasn't been how he's done it the last two years. So, the, the, and that's, you know, that's that's the beauty of you know having a new coaching staff and having a new offensive system is that from top to bottom, to a certain degree, all of these guys have to prove themselves to a coaching staff, have to prove their 
validity within a system. And, and I think that, that challenge put in front of a guy, you're going to learn a lot about a Jordan Howard if he, if he embraces that challenge or goes the other way on it. Yeah, you, you know, I think a guy like Jordan Howard is top of that list. The guy, Deion Sims, who mm-hmm. still is on the roster, kind of, to be honest, a little surprisingly that he's still on the roster. But now you have a, a tight end room where y- you have three guys in Sims, Howard, and Shaheen, or sorry, Sims, Shaheen, and Burton, Burton. Uh, who, yeah, they have to prove themselves. But, you know, Deion Sims, when the Bears signed him, they thought they were getting a really good pass blocker with some upside as a receiver. And he didn't show the upside as a receiver, and his pass blocking was sort of uneven, or his run blocking, sorry, was a little run even. So the Bears still have some of these guys who, yeah, they, they may have had success in the past, or they may have had a bad season in the past, but it is a total fresh start for this, this team and this coaching staff. And I wonder if, you know, that motivating factor of it is going to play out in a good way for the Bears. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But anytime we're talking draft, and to stray a little bit away from the Bears here, anytime we're talking draft, we talk quarterbacks. And this year might be more engaging, befuddling than, than years in the past with these three guys. Let's play a little game, and you might be familiar with the format of the game. I'm not going to say the aforementioned game, but our game is called Start, Sit, CFL. And I want you to start <laughs> one, sit one, and send one north between Rosen, Allen, and Darnold. Give me a start, sit, CFL. All right. Uh, between Rosen, Allen, and Darnold, okay. Um, I'll send... Uh, oh, boy. Okay. Okay. I'll sit, I'll sit Allen. Okay. Um, because, you know, I, I know he's got hands that can palm a watermelon and he can throw a ball. The, the ceiling's high. <laughs> yeah, the ceiling is high, but he's got to sit and he's got to learn how to be more accurate than Lamar Jackson. Um mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's a, a shot at uh, more at Allen. Well, yeah, it's more at the draft next to say that accuracy doesn't matter except when it applies to Lamar Jackson. Um, gotcha. Okay, so I will. Oh boy, this is tough. I got. I got to start one, and I got to send the other to the CFL. Yeah, uh, five years from now, they're you know, hoisting okay. the Grey Cup. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna start Josh Rosen because he's a millennial and that would just really <laughs> piss people off. And then I'll send Sam Darnold to the CFL um, for really no fault of his own. So five yeah. years from now, Sam Darnold and Mark Tressman are hoisting the great cup for the Oh yeah, the, the Alouettes are going to have it. The Alouettes over the Rough Riders in a nail biter. Heard it right, here. Former Notre Dame wide receiver <laughs> Devaris Daniels also put up big numbers in that game. <laughs> uh, That's well, the name before I we let here. Before we let you go here, JJ, um, it's been what feels like one of the more productive off-seasons in recent memory for this Bears franchise. Give us a grade on where they're at right now going into the draft. Obviously, that grade could change drastically. It's like heading into this is the midterm, and then we're going to have our final grade after the draft of the off-season. Give us a midterm grade. I'll give them a B right now. Um, I think the the Cam Meredith decision, if that winds up backfiring, is going to look Mm -hmm. really bad. Um, you know, the Bears know his medical is better than else, so, you know, trust in the team doctors, but that's one that has the potential to really backfire. Um, you know, it's hard to address edge rusher in free agency because no one lets good edge rushers reach free agency. So yeah. I, I kind of get that, but they're really thin there right now in a way that you wonder if they maybe could have, you know, I don't know if there were discussions with Willie Young's camp about restructuring his deal, 
Um, but, you know, it, just keeping someone around would be beneficial for that group. Yeah. But, you know, look, you look at where these guys fit in Matt Nagy's offense, who were signed on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they, they really like the upside of Trey Burton as the U tight end, the guy who can be split out in the slot and sort of play the Kelsey role. They, you know, you really like the production of Allen Robinson, his medical checkout, he's back to 100%. And, you know, they've done all they can to surround Mitch Trubisky with the best possible group of people, whether it's from Mark Helfrich to retaining Dave Ragone to signing Chase Daniel to signing Tyler Bray. Um, they've really built a structure around Trubisky that should help him grow in this offense. And that's exactly what the Bears had to do. They had to give Trubisky the absolute best chance of succeeding. Otherwise, they were doing themselves and the whole team a disservice because you, you don't draft a quarterback number two overall and then not build this structure around him. Even if you don't yeah. know he's good yet, but you have to do it. And give the Bears credit. They went out and they did it aggressively. And it's now, it's now time for Trubisky to put this team on his back and turn into the guy who the Bears think that he can be. Yeah, prove that prove that he's a franchise guy. They insulated their investments, and uh, I mean it should be a, it should be a fun season to watch all of these pieces mold together to one. Hopefully, it is a successful draft, and I'm not losing my top like I did after last uh, after last draft. Uh, um, so uh, we're, uh, I kind of hope you are, Joe. <laughs> oh goodness, I'll find something else to scream at y'all about. JJ, you know, we really appreciate it. Um, I'll be out here on the left coast. We got Raiders and uh, Niners in NorCal, so. December 23rd, Levi Stadium, Cookie Exchange. Me and you, all right? I'll, I'll see you there. Uh, we'll go uh, celebrate Christmas Eve a day early with Trubisky, Trubisky Gala, Garoppolo. Jeez. Perfect. Uh, Trubisky Garoppolo, Part 2, Electric Bugaloo. I'll have, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'll have the Trubisky Garoppolo. No, it'll be a good time. There we go. All right. Well, JJ, thank you so much for joining us again. That is NBC Sports Bears insider JJ Stankovic. JJ, you're a busy man. Go out there, hit the streets, hit us the information. We'll be listening and we'll be watching. All the information's on the streets. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> That's JJ Stankovic, NBC Sports insider for the Chicago Bears over there at NBC Sports Chicago. Matt, one of your colleagues. Just a great guy. Thank you for getting on. An awesome get for us to bring that sort of knowledge to the pod. We hope you guys enjoyed that because we sure did. Uh, JJ, shedding some light on some things here and found a couple uh, couple points really interesting. Um, and, and I feel like we're on the same page a little bit, JJ and I. You know, I, it was it was a frustrating year last year. And, and you could, in some of his points, I think he kind of agreed with me on, mm-hmm. on that fact. But expectations for Kevin White, keep them low. I, I, we were in lockstep there, and it felt really good. You know, for I, I, I was I was a little bit surprised at how kind of on the same page he was with us with, with EQ St. Brown. Because mm-hmm. um, I think we both were, were a little bit interested in why he kind of shot up those draft boards. And yep. JJ kind of came right out and said, you know, addressed that. He beefed you know, it up a little bit. Addressed that toughness. He's like, hey, you know, he, he did get bigger. He's, he's interviewed really well, but people still are concerned about his toughness. And, you know, JJ was even a little bit concerned about that, too. So yeah, I, if you can get that as a fourth round, third, fourth round steal, if he does drop, yeah. ooh, that is I, a, that's I'm a probably great not bet. going near him early in the third round with the Bears. The, excuse me, Bears yeah. have a third round pick. Uh, you know, but if he's there in that fourth round, uh, maybe that's when I start considering. But 
second round where they're picking, I think it's way too early for that. And that's that's one thing we didn't really touch on with JJ was do you see the Bears uh, trying to make a move back into that third mm-hmm. round, break up some pieces here and there. And it wouldn't surprise me to see them get more active, maximize their picks. And uh, I think Brian Pace traded back like three times in the second round last year to, to, to pick up some picks. So I wouldn't be yeah. shocked if they traded back from, you know, mid se- or early second round, you know, mid second round, maybe grab a third round pick out of it. Um, but but we'll see. It just kind of depends on, on who their guy is, you know, when he's there. Um, and I, I, must, I liked hearing JJ say his, his guy was Josh Rosen. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know of the quarterback in our in our start our start sit CFL. Yeah. I think he enjoyed that. Um, I, I'm excited <laughs> to see Sam Darnold and Mark Tressman in the in, in the CFL hoist that great cup five <laughs> With the years from now. Um, but I, I'm I've all, I've been a big Josh Rosen fan throughout this. And I know people question that that drive that that attitude whatever. But of his of his pure talent and his arm ability, I think he's been my kind of favorite throughout this this uh, this quarterback class. So I, I was glad to hear that as well. Yeah, it was uh, it was good stuff there from JJ again. Huge thanks to NBC Sports in Bears Insider JJ Stankovitz. We uh, we had a great time chatting with him. Hopefully, we can get him on later in the season or early early in the Bears season to kind of break some things down. Maybe preview the season for us. Uh, give us his final off season grade on these Bears. He had him at a B at this point. I think that's fair. B B minus that mm-hmm. area. And uh, you know, like we said, that was just the midterm. The final uh, the finals come here on Thursday, and uh, really excited to see what the Bears do with these picks. Joe, before we get into buy or sell, mm-hmm. with the with the eighth pick in the first round of the 2018 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select who? Matt Rooney, guard out of Ooh. Illinois Wesleyan University. You know, I still quick think I, feet, quick I mean, first feet, off, road grader. I'm, I'm a first. I, I'll be realistic, Joe. I'm not a first round talent. I'm much more of a you know late round glue guy. You kind of pick up and hope you get something out of. But I appreciate he, you thinking he, of a first round he, guy. He's a, he's a he's a real he's a real glass eater. Um, as they say, I'm a you know I don't have the highest motor. I'll be the first to admit that. I think you'd, you you no, you would be the first to admit that. I'd probably be the second yeah. to admit that. Uh, you know, but but I'm a nice I'm a good locker room guy. I get along with the people, and I think I'd, I'd bring some nice. Uh, some he's a good, he's a good. That. I'm a glue guy. He's a good fit for our organization. But I no, in so. all seriousness, if uh, if I'm there and Quentin Nelson's still on the board, I think that that is we were talking about minimizing risk. Mm-hmm. I think that's the least risk, highest reward. Maybe not the highest reward you can have in a player. There's there's other players out there, position players who would uh, bring you a higher reward, a higher ceiling. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about value, he has the highest floor, and I'm not sure it's close. Ready to ready to go, yeah, a Quentin Nelson. So uh, I think that's I stand pat in that, uh, that I think, estimation. I think the the sense that we got from that interview was was he leaning towards either Quentin Nelson or Roquan Smith, and mm-hmm. one of those two. Uh, if they end up with one of those two, I think they will be in great shape, and I'll be I'll be very happy. All righty. Well, uh, it's been. Uh, it's been a great uh, a pod thus far, and, and let's close them out with some segments. Matt, what do you say? Let's do it. All right. Uh, buy or sell, Matthew. Okay. The panic meter for you, Darvish, is off the charts right now. Used numbers, not great. He's got a 6.86 ER, ERA. He is 0-2. He's struck out 21 and walked 11, so the ratio is not terrible. Usually you can you can tell something from that. Mm-hmm. Um, buy or sell, Cubs fans should be worried about their investment. I'm not worried yet. Um, I, I know he's had – the numbers don't look great. Uh, so I will, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell this. Um, you know, mm-hmm. all-star break, if the numbers look like this, sure. But, but early on, I, it's really just been the one big inning that's gotten to him. 
Uh, and and I'm sure a lot of those things that have that have gotten to him have been you know maybe mental weakness or for lack of a better term he he's gotten in his own head a little bit with with the block against uh, Atlanta or the uh, I, I I think he had a hit by pitch in his first start with uh, with Miami mm-hmm. that kind of screwed with him a little bit but that that I think is the one minor concern with me but I also think that stuff he can work out and I think we've seen him be pretty good in years past. I'm not worried yet. I think he'll get it figured out, and it's really just avoiding the big inning for him because, for the most part, he's he's looked pretty good. You saw that strikeout to walk ratio has been there. His uh, his command has been fine. His, his uh, velocity's been up there as well. It's just it's avoiding the big inning with him, and I think that's something a guy who's been there as long as you Darvish has. I think he'll figure it. I'll be just fine. Uh, Jake Arrieta has been fun to watch because I think he clearly is pitching with a chip on his shoulder but if you ask me right now i still think despite kind of the the opposite early seasons those two have had i I still think the cubs made the right call with darvish yeah i think so too and again he is we we know what he is as a talent i think it's just a matter of a player getting comfortable in a new place Mm -hmm. especially when there are you know more barriers than, than than a normal player just moving from texas to chicago or moving from florida to New York or whatever you're doing, those normal issues that come along with that, you now have a language barrier and you have a guy getting used to a new place and uh, that's not the easiest thing. Yeah, and I, I hate using the weather as an excuse because everybody's playing with it, but this is the first time he's played for a cold weather team yeah. and I, I maybe and that might know, be a factor as well. I'm not really sure. I know he's played in you know Texas and LA though, so that's it's not exactly yeah, the thing like he's is, dealing with, uh, with the biggest issues there. The thing is now you look at the top team in the league in Boston, and yeah, they play in a cold-weather city, but these West Coast teams play all West Coast games to start out, and I think that the entire league should be over here playing West Coast games for the first few weeks. Front load front load the home games for the West Coast teams, and then they'll play long away stretches later in the season. Obviously, they'll start moaning about that, but mm-hmm. that's not the point. It's about playing baseball where baseball should be played. Uh, you know, the Giants have worked up and down the coast, played the Dodgers, they've played the Angels, they've played Oakland, they've played teams out here. And it's been good baseball. Yeah, and I think another way to do that too, to avoid the weather is just stop trying to start the season a weekend earlier and a weekend earlier every year. I mean, we had opening day on March 29th this year, and yeah. you know, we you go through the early part of the season through April, and you keep seeing you know on this day and whatever whatever year, you know such and such happened on opening day, but you're seeing these on like April 16th, April 15th, April 9th. Like, stop trying to start the season earlier. It's, start the season Matt. on you know April 9th, April 8th every year, and let's just go with that. We could do a whole pot on this, but I want to Sorry. see how you feel. No, 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 I was just about to say, I, you make a good point, but I, I don't want to go too deep into it, but Sorry. how do you feel about a shortened season, about 120, 140 game season? You know, I, I think 120 is probably too few. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd be fine with, you know, 140, 150, but at that point you are going to have to get players to agree to give up money. Yeah. And I, I know we talk about owners giving up money and, and People say that's the big story, and you know they're never going to give up money. But I have a hard time believing that players are going to give up, you know, money and take significant hits on their salaries to play just ten less games. And you know, you bump they bump ticket prices every year anyway. Bump ticket prices another twelve cents on every ticket. And yeah, owners will figure out the way to get their money back, but yeah. I still think players will. The, the owners will use that as an excuse. We have ten less games. We're going to have to pay you such and such less percent. A double dog only cost me eight dollars last season. Why is it nine fifty? Who's that supposed to be? That's Jim from Elmwood Park. Oh, okay. Jim from Elmwood Park is is very unhappy about uh, price increases on any and all fronts. Yeah, that, you know, that, he, that, yeah. Back when I was twelve, you go to a movie and get a popcorn for twenty five cents. What are his thoughts on Jay Cutler? 
Uh, bum! He was a bum! But we want him back. I want him back. He'd be a great backup. I think he'd be good for the locker room. <laughs> Let's go to uh, ourselves, Joe. Let's jump. Yeah, yeah, hit me. It's yours. Okay, uh, so I'm going to play a little different game here with you, Joe. It's, it's okay. a new game. It, it's similar curve to buy ball. or sell, but it, it's a curveball. Not many people have I'll played back. this before. It, it's a pretty original okay. idea. You ready for it? Hit My me. game is called Over Under. Ooh, yeah. ah. I haven't heard of this one before, have you? Okay. So, no, I have not. Uh, I'm sure, How do I play? I'm sure something you did here um, is that Notre Dame and Alabama signed on for a uh, a home and home in 2028, 2029, which I'm still convinced aren't real years yet and will never come. But eventually, <laughs> say, eventually, play in the party. Ten, ten years from now, when those when those two games two come, I want to say over under two and a half combined coaching changes between head coaching changes between two teams. I thought you were going to say over under two and a half. Like this, you were going to give me a spread here. Alabama over, minus Alabama two and a half over under. Ten years I down like, the road. I like Notre Dame on the money line. You, you give, you're, giving me, you're giving me plus 140 for Notre Dame right now. I'd probably, oh I'd probably invest in that ten years down Over the road. under two and a half coaching changes coaching between changes. now and 2028. So that is enough for both Current head coaching coaches to not be there, yeah. and then you know. One. No, I'm taking. I'm hammering the over. Uh, hammering the both, over. I think both coaches will have turned over a new leaf at that point, um, and then I think after that, I think Notre Dame sees one more. I mean, you, you don't know who's gonna who'd be the predecessor to either of these guys, and how successful that'll be. If it's early failure, you won't you won't see either of these schools mm-hmm. balk at getting rid of someone after coming off of success like you did with a Nick Saban and, uh, you know, the limited success, but success nonetheless with Ryan Kelly. Yeah. I, um, I kind of think I'm going to go under. Um, I, I, I still think both of these guys probably, I, I don't think, well, obviously Nick Saban is coaching however long he wants. I think that's probably about four or five more years. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think Brian Kelly, as long as he keeps doing what he's doing is, is as frustrating as it is as an ND fan, it, he's still fairly safe because he still has that potential to break out. So I think once you get that, if you get, if and when you get that new coach in there, they probably only have to last four years to get to that series. So I'm going to take the under. I'm going I'm to say it goes under two and a half. Bold strategy. Yeah. Bold strategy. Are you recording the podcast from a church? Are no, you, you know, like I, I live near St. Michael's right now. I, I what are you doing? Church. It's noon. <laughs> noon bells are going off. Gotcha. Right? Well, you go say a prayer for me. Uh, I'll do that while you're uh, while you're asking me your next buy or sell. Right, Matt, buy or sell? Mayfield talks right now about him being back in the conversation at first overall. Cleveland, do you buy or sell this uh, in terms of it being uh, just a week of fodder? You know, a lot of times mm-hmm. GMs will float stuff out there to get people to move, but. Uh, why would you why would you float the idea of Baker Mayfield if you're Cleveland you have the first overall pick you don't need to move up if you're trying to convince someone to move up who dearly wants Baker Mayfield to the first overall pick it just doesn't make any sense for it to be a lie yeah. buy or sell it as truth uh, well first off my prayers were answered Joe the bell stopped going off so thank you <laughs> uh, a little clap for me um, I think they're legitimately interested in him so I'll, I'll buy that um, I, I I know everybody's saying Sam Darnold there at one, or maybe even you know the a shocker and taking Saquon Barkley and kind of seeing what quarterback is left for them at four. Um, I, I don't buy this whole we're going to take a quarterback with number one and number four because that's just stupid. Um, but the, the Browns are the Browns, and, and even though it seems like May- Baker Mayfield is not a number one overall pick talent, if they have a guy who likes him, if Hugh Jack, I mean they they took Johnny Manziel, and I think they really liked what they had in Johnny Manziel. 
um, talent-wise, obviously not quite attitude-wise, and, and Baker Mayfield plays somewhat of a similar style. It wouldn't shock me to see them because none of these quarterbacks seem like home runs. Uh, they all seem like high-ceiling guys, and if they think Baker Mayfield has the highest ceiling and the best chance and, and maybe the most NFL-ready of all of them, I, I nothing surprises me with the Cleveland Browns, Joe, so I'm going to buy it. Matt, I, I've said it on the pod before, and it, it's worth reiterating. I don't think any of these guys are your franchise quarterback. If you're looking for a long-term answer, I don't think there's a long-term answer in this draft, or at least in these first three guys. How Maybe about, you find some value late. How but, about oh, three hundred? Coming full circle here, 365 days ago, both of us were basically saying, like, yeah, you know, we, we don't hate the Trubisky, like, as a player, but why do that when you have, you know, two absolute home run, you know, surefire oh, famers coming yeah. out? No, and now it's kind of like, well, is, you know, Darnold's probably going to go number one, but is he that ready? You know, Rosen a you know, might fall out of the top ten, and, and I guess, and, I guess uh, it's, it's interesting to see how much has changed throughout a year. Yeah, and, and, and Sean Payton kind of echoed that sentiment yesterday on the Dan Patrick show. He said, every single year, he goes, we've been looking for Drew Brees's, uh for an understudy, someone to get under mm-hmm. Brees, someone that we can hand the keys to the car. And last year, they had their eyes on Pat Mahomes. Uh, they trade, or I believe Kansas, Kansas, City City trade, Kansas City traded up one pick before him, took Mahomes. Uh, the year prior to that, they wanted Wentz. He obviously went before their pick. The year before that, he kept going back. He went all the way back to Andrew Luck, and he goes, it's just never shook down. And he said, you know, the front office has no problem with me saying that we don't see the guy this year. Mm-hmm. And, and if if a successful front office that's done good jobs of, you know, analyzing talent, analyzing draft talent before is not seeing it, then I don't know why I should see it either. Part of me thinks that he might believe that to an extent, but I mean, part, part could of me be believes some he's, he's playing a little too. poker with that one too. He, he yeah. wants to put that out there and maybe hope that that affects the way some people take a look at those guys. Yeah. All right, Matt. Well, uh, that's all I have for you. Um, do you have another one for me? I do. I have okay. uh, I have another over-under for you, though, Joe. So it's, it's a little bit okay. different again. Um, so yesterday, Matt Forte and Devin Hester retired as Bears. Did, did you did you see the speeches? Did you see the press conference? I did. I if, did. I, I saw the high – I didn't sit down for the press conference, but it, I, saw, I saw bites from it. It brought back some feels, Joe. It, it, hit it absolutely feels. did. Um, yeah. But I, I want to say buyers – or over-under – 0.5 Hall of Famers from the, the two guys that spoke yesterday. Hmm. Uh, I'm gonna, as much as it pains me to say, I'm going to say under. Okay. And I think, and you know, I'm completely biased. I think there's two in there. And, uh, you know, if you add if you add a Super Bowl to Matt Forte's resume, I think he's, he's, a un, he's, uh, he's undoubtedly a, a Hall of Famer. And I think if you, I don't know, I think if you add one Hall of Famer prior to Devin Hester, who is strictly a special teamer, then he's a lock as well. But it's all about the criteria. I think Hester could get in on a slow year. I think Hester could get in with the right cosigns. If, if Dion goes out there again and says mm-hmm. this guy deserves to get in, if you get some big names go out there say this guy deserves to get in, but there's really going to have to be a push for it. If I'm a betting man, um, obviously I would never – actualize uh the gains on that bet because i'd have to they'd have to die or they could even do it post i'd have to die for mm-hmm. the, so this is this is a flawed over under but uh I, i'm gonna say that neither of them get in unfortunately i'm gonna i'm gonna disagree i'm gonna go over i i do think devin hester gets in 
Uh, I don't think I it's really going to be. He does. I don't think it's going to be right away, but I, I do think. He, I mean, he's an NFL record holder, um, and, and it's a record that I don't think going anywhere anytime soon. And he just he completely changed the game from a single position. And I think, no offense to punters, if we see a punter in the NFL or in the Hall of Fame, if we see a kicker in the Hall of Fame, I don't see why we can't have a kick returner in the NFL. He affected special teams. A, I agree. A, the, the phase of the game that when you ask head coaches, it might just be coach speak, but when you ask head coaches the, the most important phase of the game for them, oftentimes they say special teams. When you had a player who affected that all-important phase of the game for so long and did so by putting up points, not just being you know a disruptor or you know causing turnovers all that, but did so by putting up points. I don't think you had a player who made an impact on a position. I know you agree with me, and I'm just going kind to of preach into the choir I, here, but yeah, and I, I think that eventually gets him in. We've said it before, and how many of those returns, I think it was 17 total or something like that, with the Bears. Uh, mm-hmm. How many did he get to? Or, uh, nine, I think he, he had 19, 19 total. 20? I think that's counting. I think that's counting the Atlanta stuff, which we count it. Mm-hmm. But of all of those instances, look at how many of them are in close games, key moments. I'd love to see the number of how many of those games were decided by a touchdown or less when Devin has to return a touchdown. Mm-hmm. It was it was directly affecting the outcomes of games and the future of teams. And, and with that said. Uh, he's got my vote if I have a, if I ever have a vote. You yeah, know, he, he just he 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 checks all the boxes for me. And I, I love Matt Forte, and I think you're right. If they would have gotten a Super Bowl with him, I think it'd be a different conversation. But I, I just I think mm-hmm. he's in that hall of very good right now. Uh, he, he'll go down to Bears <laughs> history as you know the second best running back I think to ever do it. No, that's no offense to Gale Sayers. Uh, I think Matt Forte is the second best, and he's most one of the most complete players to ever play offense for the Chicago Bears. But he just under 10,000 yards rushing. I know he had a bunch of yards receiving, but I, I think the career was just a little bit too short, and he didn't do it over a long enough time to get him into camp. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you, Matt. And uh, it has been it was a, just a fun childhood watching both of those guys with the football in their hand. You, you know, good things could happen, and like you said, both of them changed their respective positions in a big way. Joe, now, now speaking of fun childhoods here, before we get into uh, before we get into the mailbag, which is related to the question we just did, I, I wanted to bring okay. up something that was fun from from both of our our childhood teenage years. Do, do, do you know where Dave you were? Hogan? Do, no, well, he was fun. We had fun with, with, with Dave Hogan. Joe, do you remember where you were eight years ago today? Eight years ago today, if you would have asked me this, uh, pretend sight I didn't unseen. ask you before okay. the podcast. No, Do you Matt, where I, you have no idea. I have no idea where I was eight years ago. Joe, today. We, Tell were in, me. we were in the 300 level of the United Center watching Marion Hosa take a five minute major with, uh, with uh, you know, under five minutes or with, you know, with very, I just got very little time left to play. We saw a Patrick Kane score with an, with an empty net shorthanded in front of the net, which Patrick Kane never did in, in early in his career after Martin Erat made one of the most inexcusably bad passes of all time. And then we saw, seconds left, and then it was, it was about 11 points up. It was, it was very, 11, very few seconds yeah. left. And then we saw that we saw the, them kill off four plus minutes of the penalty and then we saw Marion Hosa exit the penalty box, go straight to the front of the net where all the goals are, Joe. I've said that to you before. Put in the rebound and that, that the, the iconic slide from the knees, and, and the rest was history, Joe. And don't don't shortchange the man who, who created that rebound with the, the misdirected shot and soaps. Brent Sopel. Uh, that was uh, Brent Sopel that will forever uh, be a name that rings in Chicago uh, Chicago hockey history. 
for that moment. That's right Jim from Elmwood Park's favorite player. That's Jim. You know, Brent's so, but we gotta, is he still playing? We gotta get him back here. He's the answer. But no, but that was, that was, was the, uh, that was the moment that the, started all of this. I mean, with, without it, that one, who knows if they go on to win that series and who knows how many, if any cups they go on to win or kind of what happens after that. That was kind of the moment that they, they really arrived. Yeah. Definitely a watershed moment in Hawks franchise history. It was amazing to be in the building for that. I'll never forget the way that that building shook. And I always thought, man, that that's going to be one of the best sporting moments I've ever been in the house for. And it absolutely was. It absolutely still is. But uh, One of the few Trump, times I legitimately left Trump, my feet watching a game. Oh, yeah. I still have a piece of the drop ceiling of, mm. of the styrofoam ceiling from the United Center that was falling as we were leaving. Um, but uh, I was going to say that moment only to be uh, – to be met by by Game Seven uh, against Detroit two years later. I still have and, nightmares uh, about that game. That uh, having to win it twice with uh, Jalmerson and then uh, and then Seeds at the end. But uh, some great moments in these last few years. Hopefully, they got a few more well, yeah, uh, left in the tank. See, that that Game Seven anniversary is probably coming up pretty soon. So when when that one comes up, I'll I'll, I'll address it on the podcast. Don't you okay. worry. We'll, we'll play some Sarah McLaughlin softly in the background. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, Joe, let's get to the mail. The mail bag yeah, let's jump it. We got a mail uh, so This one's strictly for you. I get to take a seat here. I, all I have to do is read it. Ah, okay. um, because it regards fashion, and people out there don't really. Oh, well, I want they, your. I want your opinion as well, though. They don't hold my fashion opinion in all that high regard for some reason. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. said, yesterday at the Bears press conference, we had two different looks between with Matt Forte and Devin Hester. We want to yeah. know the the, the the mailbag question is who. Who pulled theirs off better? Who looked better? Who pulled the look off better between uh, whose look Hester? was better? Whose look was better yesterday? Uh, you know, I think both of them looked sharp. I agree. I think both of them looked really good. They were in similar, like dark blue. One can, was. Uh, can I make Cortez a point was, before? Tell Cortez me if I'm an idiot. Of a, Hester's was, was more of a tuxedo. Hester's is more of like a classic look. Am I right? Um. Yeah. Bit. I mean, he had the. He had the. It was a three piece. He had the vest on under. Ooh, and I would have liked to see him lose. The, I, I'm not a big fan of it, but if you are going to wear the three piece, at some point, take the jacket off, show off the vest mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hester's still yoked up. He looked good in the vest. I didn't like Hester's tie. I thought the knot was a little big as well. And uh, Forte's coll- the the lapel of the of the, the black tuxedo lapel. jacket was it was nice. I like the black lapel. It needed to be a little skinnier. Would have liked it a little skinnier, but okay. I did like. The single breast or the double breasted single button. That's always a, you know, a cavalier look is something a little bit different. I thought they both rocked it really nice. I'm looking at a picture right now too. Forte had a beautiful uh, Rolex date just on too. So, uh, so watch guy points points there. Are you a watch um, guy? Both of them look sh- I'm a watch guy. I'm, I'm not a watch guy. guy. I'm, a, I'm a poor watch guy though. So we'll, yeah. we'll get there. Um, beautiful watch on both of them rocking a little bit of jewelry. Hester had a ring on. Uh, uh, it looks like a, uh, I don't know what – maybe their NFC Championship ring they got that year, I think it was. But, uh, no, both of them looked great. Both of them uh, spoke great, and it was great to have them. I, I'm even seeing now on a close-up, Hester's jacket, not just blue. I'm going to give this to Hester right here. Really? The, I'm going to give it to Hester right now because there is a window pane, a uh, little pinstripe there, and I believe it's orange on the blue suit. So some thought going into it. Hmm. Very subtle – if you go in tight on the picture here, an orange pinstripe on that suit. So well, Devin Hester wins wins the fashion award between the two. That is the only you know hard type of hard hitting analysis. We're, we're the only yeah. place I think you can get you're not the hard get, hitting you're not fashion get that analysis wearing down breaking down fashion choices of Bears retirement 
uh, press conferences. So I, I, if, I also liked uh, some of the fashion of those in attendance. I don't know if you saw Peanut Tillman was in like a t-shirt and sweatpants. Hey, uh, nothing wrong with same that. With, same with Spice Adams. Hey, you know, uh, they were just kind of Johnny Knox was there. It was great to see that he's alive, which is good. Say, always see he can still walk after that back. Yes, <laughs> huge, huge if true. Well, you know, um, I, I think those guys were just you know old, old habits die hard, and they were they were going to Hallis Hall, and they probably like, oh, we're just going we're going to practice. So I'm just going yeah. with my t-shirt and sweats. Like, oh wait, I'm socks, actually here. Socks for the press and conference. some slides. Yeah, socks and some slides. Yeah. Old habits die hard. Uh, with those guys, Joe. You know, but it was it was a great day for Bears fans, nonetheless. Matt, why don't you uh, why don't you go ahead there and shut us down? Okay, shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Houston, we have shut down. I've seen enough. Shut it down. I'm, I'm going to shut us down with a, I guess, a, a well wishes to to the White Sox reliever Danny Farquhar, who uh, I'm sure everybody pretty much around the league and around sports now knows uh, collapsed in the White Sox dugout Friday night. I think he pitched two thirds of an inning. Uh, collapsed in the dugout, was taken to Rush Medical Center, and they, they believe they found out he had a, a ruptured brain aneurysm. Um, he, he's doing, they said the, the condition he is in now is, is critical but neurologically stable. He's responsive talking to people, but still it seems like a, a long recovery. Uh, I believe they said it's it's closer to you know months and years of a recovery than it is to you know days and weeks. So I, I know that's got to be affecting that clubhouse, the organization, from what we've seen around the league, I know the Mariners hung a, a Farquhar jersey in their dugout last night. He was he spent some time with the Seattle organization. Um, the entire league seems to be you know sending well wishes. So it's it's cool to see you know in times like this how you know the entire community rallies around each other. But again, they're only rallying around each other because such a, a an unfortunate thing happened to what, by all accounts, a, a very good person. Um, all the people who I've talked to at work who, who've been around the White Sox say he's absolutely a great guy and, and a great person mm-hmm. in the clubhouse to be around. So well wishes to him uh, and his family. I know he's been kind of a journeyman uh, pitcher throughout his career, and this is just kind of another bump in the road for him. But hopefully he gets by this, makes a full recovery, and, and uh, we see him again in the White Sox bullpen at some point. Yeah, uh, obviously well wishes, prayers to, uh, to Farquhar and the family as well. Uh, just scary, scary stuff that you, you don't you don't see on baseball fields you, that you don't see very often anywhere. And yeah. uh, uh, it, it sounds like um, things are moving in the right directions neurologically. He's answering questions. He's got movement of all of his extremities. They said that um, all things considered, it, it's good news mm-hmm. uh, when you're when you're talking about an aneurysm. Going to spend the next few weeks in uh, Rush's neurological. Um, ICU treatment facilities yeah. in the in the ICU and uh, not only prayers to him but uh, to, to all the doctors and nurses that'll be treating him because those are the lifesavers there it's those are those are the people who should be making the uh, the nine figure contracts not the guys hitting the home runs or striking mm-hmm. guys out oh, well well said Joe and uh, on a lighter note it's been fun talking to you absolutely uh, thank you again uh, one week from now us up there with, setting us up there with JJ one week from now one we week could from be screaming now, and I cannot wait for like when they trade up a pick to get somebody that you don't like or something and you just erupt on the podcast I can't yeah, wait is, for it let, let's be more positive about this it's been a year we've been doing the pod for a year now it's uh, I think that was pod number one was my yeah. Uh, was my basket kit when I lost? We, when we I ran lost our marbles. We ran our, our practice trial run podcast. I think it's a draft preview, and uh-huh. you're very calm in that one. And then our first real pod was you just absolutely and the, exploding. And then they drafted on Adam Pace. Shaheen. <laughs> oh now, well now it's Adam. At first it was Mitch Trubisky. Now it's Adam. they got fleeced out of a pick. And they, they did. We're not going to bring this up. If they got, no, the we're not. Because I'm, I'm still right. 
We're not going to bring it up because I'm still right. They if got they got their franchise quarterback, they didn't get fleeced out anything. They got their franchise quarterback, but they could have another human being on their roster with the franchise quarterback. But they don't. And with that, they, and maybe with without that, that, that. No, maybe without that. With no, that, he would be, there is no maybe. There is no maybe. Mitch Trubisky would have been on the board. You never know. John never Lynch know. fleeced them out of a pick. He, all right? he, he it, probably it would have been on the board. But you, if you think that's your guy, you don't take that risk. Yeah, okay. Well, with that, episode 53 is done. <laughs> Glad we're we ended on a high note, Joe. We're saving the ire for 54. For Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. Thank you guys for listening. As always, like it, share it, post it, bop it, flip it. Whatever you got to do, get on there on iTunes, get on there on Google Play, get on there on SoundCloud, spread the word, and uh, hope you enjoyed, folks. Have a good one. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. (laughs) Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.